degenerate angels, and welcome back to Tales of Taboo, your favorite exploration of elusive subcultures, the road less traveled, and all topics, people, ideas, and experiences that, for whatever reason, are outside the bounds of what is considered socially acceptable. My name is Allie Weiss. I am a native New York performer, writer, and on-air host known for my big eyebrows, big opinions, and title as the self-proclaimed princess of taboo. For anyone who is new here, perhaps of our guest today, welcome. This podcast is unlike anything else, if I do say so myself, in this terribly oversaturated market, if I do say so myself, because most of the episodes are composed of anonymous confessions from our listeners around the world. However, Every once in a while, I'll do a one-on-one, on-the-record interview with someone I meet or admire who, in some way, shape, or form, has lived an unconventional life and done so proudly and fearlessly. I always say, this podcast is not meant to shock. It's a certainly fearless but heartfelt exploration of why we are all afraid to be different and why certain people are seen as less human than others simply because of choices they make, especially when those choices deliver, often, the most meaningful life lessons. So this week, I am beyond stoked to present my conversation with Whitney Port. High school me is absolutely losing her mind. And honestly, as I listened back to our conversation with a big smile, late 20s me is kind of losing her mind too. For any of you who are in my age range or who have watched The Hills or The City, Whitney needs zero introduction. And for anyone who doesn't know, you should simply go onto TMZ or Perez Hilton, Laney Gossip, remember Laney Gossip, Us Weekly, People, etc., etc., and search her name and scroll back to the archives from 2008. Um, the best way I can describe Whitney is that she was the mid 2000s and early 2010s picture of poise and grace and elegance within reality TV, if you can even believe that. It sounds crazy to say, right? But having a wholesome public image was and continues to be a major rarity within the narrative nonfiction TV space because ratings are largely dependent on drama. And without naming names, when you consider who she was surrounded by in her various casts, the fact that she maintained such a sophisticated personal brand is doubly as impressive and also very worth talking about because becoming globally famous for being yourself or at least like a version of yourself is taboo right in and of itself but staying at least seemingly sane while embarking on that path is also taboo like especially staying sane in the blog and paparazzi and misogyny infested pre-social media era when stars were not able to claim or defend their own narratives through Instagram or Twitter or TikTok or streaming or literally any of the other platforms we have now. Um, Whitney and I initially met when I did a guest slot on her podcast. 
I have hyperlinked that in the episode description for you guys. And I have to admit, I was surprised by how chill and open she was and also how supportive of my strange career path and the things that I have chosen to speak out about or illuminate publicly like my abortion. Um, It was a pleasure and an absolute no-brainer to ask her to come on my show in return. And coincidentally, we did this interview right in the thick of my Boohoo TikTok scandal, which now seems like so long ago, but you all remember it was horrible at the time. And it was such a mind-boggling experience to be getting big sisterly advice on my own show from someone that I admired growing up now all of these years later in the influencer era, which like I also participate in. So you know, as we're approaching the new year, this was definitely a bucket list moment for me. And Whitney, if you're listening, I can't thank you enough for uh, being cool with me, <laughs> liking me, liking what I do and being so cool yourself. Um, really, it was an awesome moment. So I hope after listening, you all will feel like she is your cool big sister too. And without further ado, this is Tales of Taboo. Um, um, what I was going to say was, oh, luckily there wasn't, there was no social media when I started no, I doing know. the Hills and like the height of how big that show got, there was no social media. Crazy. So we didn't have to deal with any of that. We didn't have to deal with like the personal attacks, you know, like it just wasn't a thing for us. So now I'm, I would, I'm, always so scared like I was at first what what helped me like kind of start to get a, a harder shell was when I did the series I love my baby but I hate my pregnancy yeah. and that was the first thing where I was like oh my god people are gonna think I'm such a monster like yeah. I'm saying I hate pregnancy there's so many people out there who can't get pregnant right. like this is gonna be like now I'm opening myself up for some judgment because I feel like I always I never really wanted my relationship on the show like I never wanted anything personal to ever be to yeah. ever come out and I just started to realize like there are just always going to be people who take what you say and don't read the whole thing or don't understand and those people like it's not that they don't matter to you but you just can't put as much weight on what they say yeah and as long as you just continue to be yourself and clear up to your audience base like what you actually meant and like that you have a heart and that that's not right like, like literally like trying... a nice Jewish girl yeah. who's like making like a joke and like has anybody it's also just so ridiculous because like aren't we hasn't everybody been like you or not you but like I don't like yes, that dress or yes. like this person's not the most well-dressed. Well, like what, what do they want you the to do? Well, this the craziest thing. And I think that this is representative of like where culture is now as opposed to where it was when you were, you know, at your biggest mm-hmm. is that someone actually commented being like, um, doesn't everybody like say this stuff though? Like why is everyone reacting like this to what she's saying? Yeah. And then someone commented back to that saying something along the lines of like, well, like most people have the decency to not say it to people's faces. Like they just like say it like, you know, don't like put it on passing, a in passing or, or like, like behind, behind their back, behind their back. And that's the thing, right? Is And we'll get into this. Uh-huh. Obviously like Perez Hilton era celebrity gossip was toxic on 10,000 levels. 100%. But there was also something to be said for like 
if you're going to say something, say it and stand by it. Right. Rather than pretending to be some sort of, like, noble white knight right. by, like, publicly standing up for one thing and right. then privately actually not aligning with those values. Like, this is the reason why people are distrustful of, like, quote-unquote, woke people. It's like, so true. You always have to wonder if people actually believe what they say on social media. Because they're always right. putting out that everything is, like, sunshine and butterflies. Right. And it's like, if you would just admit that you're human too and you right. say shitty stuff sometimes or you have and opinions. And that everybody is hypocritical. Like, yeah. every single person. But those person. people aren't your people then. Like, those people yeah. who are giving you shit and who are coming at you, like, they're not your people. They're, you're, they're not your people. Yeah. And, like, I understand the, the beginning of it is going to be, like, oh, my God. Like, I had to deal with this once, um, and it was – I'm surprised I don't get it more often because Timmy and I can be a little bit savage sometimes on our rewatch series on our yeah, YouTube which, where we, like, yes. watch – we watch The Hills. We watch Siesta Key. We, like – People love watch it. Watch the city. And we, talk, we, we really, like, give our opinion on people yeah. and say, like, oh, my God, that dude's, like, a douchebag or, like, that dude is, like, oh, it has no brain or, like, whatever. We, and I, so I'm yeah. surprised that we don't really get it more often, but I think that, like, our community has realizes it realizes right. that it's that it's comedy. Right. And I think that you can get away with stuff if you, like, fall under the, you know, the comedy whatever label. But, um, exactly. But once I, I was recording my podcast and we were filming The Hills and New Beginnings, and I was telling a story about Spencer Pratt and I was saying how I was like scared of him or something and cuz he was like he's an he, he's always been, oh, sorry excuse me That's he's okay. always been an intimidating person oh, yeah. to me you huge know huge personality huge personality and like if you kind of get on his bad side mm-hmm. you're afraid of like the wrath that you get so i said something very honest like that on my podcast and he then went like after me like <sighs> you're such a fake person you know like you everybody thinks that you're like the girl next door like this super sweet person but like you're really the worst one of all like talking all the shit about people and but i got that, really i got I, I don't know like by me saying that i was scared of him and like those are my real feelings. Which you're valid to But have. then I was like, I never should have said anything. Like, oh my God, I can't believe he's saying, like, I'm a horrible person. I could, I, like, I took it so personally. I was so scared probably how you felt after these, these people started to come after you and stuff. Yeah. And then after a couple of days, I was just like, oh my God. Like, like am I really going to put weight on right. this? Like, he doesn't really know me. If these people want to judge me, if anybody wants to judge me for saying that I was, quote, scared of him. Right, like, like out of whatever. all the things you could say, but also the people <sighs> who would rally behind him are not the same people who exist in your community. Right. It's, it's, a, it's like a different underlying value and, system. And that's what you, that's the same yeah. thing that you have to just keep telling yourself exactly. as you're dealing with this stuff. Because exactly. I would hate for any of this stuff to stop you from being that voice of like honesty and truth yeah. and reality. Which you've been so nice and supportive of from like the first moment that we started recording your podcast so cool it was amazing I was like not to say that like I didn't expect it but I was just like wow like this is so (laughs) nice to have somebody like give me this level of a cosign and be like thank you for like just not being a perfect 
person. I mean, I just feel like there's so much that happens. And I know this saying is so cliche, but like behind closed doors. And I think that we're such complicated people. Everybody is. Everybody has so many different layers and sides to them. You're not just like one thing. Yeah. And I just feel like if people would just give everybody the benefit of the doubt a little bit more and also take a good hard look at themselves in the mirror and realize that like we all say say things that we may regret or we all might not be the best version of ourselves all the time or we all may think something's funny that may not be like I don't know I just think that people can tell when you're just saying something to be funny versus when you're actually being like really mean right a hundred a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent but like unfortunately the nuance has kind of just like dissolved in in the mob mentality yeah but this leads me to a question that I actually had written down like halfway through the conversation but it makes sense to ask now yeah looking back on it obviously anybody who watches any sort of television knows that all cast members are subjected to the whims of editors and producers Uh, exactly like you give up your autonomy when you go on television you're basically saying like I'm me but I may not be me however long from now a couple months from now Mm -hmm. and like I may not be able to get me back Back. which is bananas Uh uh-huh so Overall, do you feel like the way that you were portrayed on TV for all of those years Mm -hmm. in the hills and the city Mm -hmm. was reflective of who you actually are? Because it's easy for me to say, oh, like you did come across as polished and Mm -hmm. kind and smart and together you didn't embarrass yourself. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that that was necessarily good. Right. You could have felt tremendously stifled by that. And I think, you know, I tinkered around and like read some past interviews and just like the consensus was everyone loved you at the time. You were a favorite mm-hmm. because you were so poised. Mm-hmm. But like as a human, as a woman, as a young person in her 20s, mm-hmm. that could have felt like shit that there yeah. was this expectation on you to be perfect. So I'd kind of love to start there and like break that down if that's yeah. okay with you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so many different layers to that. So I would say overall, I was really pleased by how I came across. And I think, and I and I thought it was really true to who I was. Granted, I thought there were other sides of me that weren't shown that were positive, like me having a little bit more to say, like a little bit more of a brain than they showed, a right. little bit more personality. Right. Well, it was you all know? about the looks on the Exactly. <laughs> so like I had I was a victim of of that, of like that editing style where right. it was like, no, we don't need a response. We just need right. like a facial expression. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I was, I think Lauren and I were both, I, I think both really lucky with how the producer viewed us. Yeah. I think the producer viewed us as like a typical protagonist in a show or a movie that is like the girl next door that like most girls can kind of see themselves in. Right. And I feel lucky that I was kind of quote cast as that. Right. But I also think that that is, that is just me. Like I wasn't, I didn't sign on to be on a reality show because like I really wanted to be on the show and be famous. Like I decided to do the reality show because I really wanted a career in fashion. And I was like a really motivated, hardworking, smart girl who grew up in Los Angeles and like wasn't impressed by all this shit that I think that all these people who came on the show right. were like, oh my God, bright lights, big city. Well, like let's just York. do whatever. I deal with this constantly. Yeah. It's like all my fashion week drama has a lot to do with people who have literally never been to New York or are not in fashion, have 
nothing to do with entertainment who are just clawing into whatever they can get their hands exactly. on. Exactly. And they'll do things that I don't even think they realize that they're doing right. to, to be famous or to get the follows or to go viral. Like they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. But I also had, I mean, filming was so stressful for me because always in the back of my head, I was thinking about how something could be edited. Yeah. And I would go into to shoot days, like we'd show up and we would ta- sit down with the producers and they would tell us like what they kind of wanted out of the scene, right? Because it wasn't like a type of show where they're filming 24-7 and hoping hoping that something goes wrong. Just like a couple days a week, Yeah, right? they're like filming you three to four days a week yeah. and you only have like an hour or two per location and so you have beats that they want you to hit. Right. So you have little meetings with the producers before and I was – I just had constant fights with the producers. Like, but if I say it this way, then it could be chopped up like this. Or, you know, it was constantly so much analyzing how I was going to be viewed. And I think that that had a negative effect on my confidence overall. And even after the show, it forced me to just like overanalyze everything I was doing. Yeah. Um, But I do think that... I do like like just what I said I do think that overall like I was portrayed in a in a in a nice way in mm-hmm. really who I was uh, because I also like I hate to say this but I didn't really do anything for the sake of drama no, like, you didn't. And they asked, they would ask me all the time. Like, I had a boyfriend that wasn't didn't want to be on the show. And they're mm-hmm. like, please film with us, please. I was like, no way. Right. That relationship is saved. They're like, please ask your sisters, will they be on the show? Basic your family. Human boundaries. I was like, no, my family will never be on the right. show. Like, never ask about that. I knew that I could control what came out of my mouth. Like, and I know that editors obviously can chop things up, but right. I just knew I had a pretty good handle on that and right. then just didn't want anybody else in my personal, like my real personal life to be involved. Like even when I moved to New York and we did the city, yeah, I uh, had my boyfriend, it was an actual boyfriend on the show. I had met him like right when I moved out to New York City and that was pretty much it. Like everybody else that was on the show was basically cast, you know, like even all my friends were cast. And so I always had quote, like my, my real friendships, like right. my, my off camera friendships. And then like my on camera friendships that I just, I managed, you know what yeah, I mean? 100%. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's, what's fascinating to me is that, you know, I feel like people love to ask current or former reality stars, well, how did it actually work? Like what yeah. was production? Like, was it? fake. And I'm like, that's actually not the most interesting question to ask because Mm -hmm. we know that you are creating um, a narrative within a very enclosed period of time. Totally. I think it's much more interesting to ask, like, how do you deal with developing these relationships that specifically exist on a soundstage Mm -hmm. where, like, your friends are cast, you're supposed to act like your besties or Mm -hmm. your best work Mm -hmm. friends or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. The, the, the simple concept of like how artificial it is to well, say yeah that what was that's what was so hard was because i hate to sound like a cold hearted bitch but like well you've come I to the right point really, <laughs> according to the I, internet i didn't really have like close close relationships on the show mm-hmm. so 
And I think that was part of the reason why the city got canceled just because like I wasn't a dramatic person and I didn't really care if certain people did shitty stuff to me because I was like, they're not really my real friends anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was like the producers was like, Whitney, this, that's not interesting though. Like people like, can you pretend like you care a little bit? Yeah. But I love you so much. You're like, actually, you know what? Sorry, I cannot pretend to care. Right. They're like with (laughs) Olivia. They're like, like she, you know, she, she took credit for you styling that look. Like she told DVF that she styled that look. And I'm like, in the grand scheme, I don't care. Uh, yeah, I was like, really though? And like, also, is that true? Are you guys making that up to get a rise out of me? Right. It was always like, who's telling me the truth? So it got to the point where I feel like I just got a little bit numb about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I think that's also what happens. It's like what we were saying before. You grew up in LA. You yeah. grew up around a certain type of person, a certain type of access, which mm-hmm. of course we are extremely privileged to have you know, done. For sure. But I, it's, it's hard for me to care about these things that are, um, interesting or like zeitgeisty mm-hmm. when I was like, this was just for better or worse, the way that I grew up. And totally. I think it, it's hard for me even now, um, playing into it to a certain degree for like career gain, like being yeah. like, oh, this is like what you have to do the same way that back in the day, it was like, if you want your ratings to be good, yeah. if you don't want to be canceled, you have to pretend to care. Mm-hmm. But it's also like when you are like a native Angelino mm-hmm. or you're a native New Yorker, you're like, it actually compromises my character to pretend to care about yeah, something but like that. But there are people, the people I feel like that go into reality TV nowadays, like they know what they're signing up for. And so they're probably a little bit more willing to like do shit for the sake of of the show, you know? And I think that like even the Hills New Beginnings had had problems, had those, that specific problem because the people on the show had already were we were like older we're right. 35 and up oh, now you know yeah. so i think everyone the producers were like come on like you guys this is going to be so boring like we can't just show you at home with your families and like doing group dinners and stuff and but everybody was like but honestly one we're not even that close of friends with each other right. anymore and two like we just don't care. Exactly. And I think that some people on the show really cared and they were willing to like do stuff to piss people off. And then that, like, you can't have only like a few people on the show care. But I think like the best reality shows are when everyone is like really down to just show literally everything Everything. and when the relationships with the people on the show are actually real. Yes. You know, like Vanderpump Rules, I think is so good because they all really started as best friends. Right. Yeah. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. So you brought up an interesting point about people who come into reality TV now knowing what to expect. Yeah. When you signed on to do The Hills, reality TV was brand new. Yeah. Like brand new. So I would love to know how it was pitched to you Mm -hmm. and kind of how you interpreted the possibilities there because Mm -hmm. social media didn't exist. Mm -hmm. We had no idea the star-making power of this format. It Mm -hmm. was just kind of like, you got to be on TV and it's glamorous. So how was this presented to you? What was your internal dialogue like? And then did it match your expectations? Like, what happened? Yeah, so um, basically... 
I had always wanted to work in fashion and I was interning at Women's Wear Daily and I heard, I was I was like, oh, I need, I'm going to start USC in the fall and I'd really love like an internship. Condé Nast was in the same building as Women's Wear Daily mm-hmm. and I was like, I'd, I mean, die for an internship at Vogue. So I like went up a couple floors and gave them my resume and they called me a few days later and they were like, actually, um... MTV is starting to film a TV show here. Would you be interested in having a call with them and like hearing what it's all about? And I was like, I mean, I was 21 years old. I'm like, sure, why not? And I thought, wow, anything that has to do with MTV and Vogue, like I'm sure that will be super cool. So I, I had the call and they basically pitched it to me as a documentary style show following four girls in Los Angeles doing various things in different industries. So like one girl in fashion, one girl in music, Music, one girl in nightlife, and, and right. so on and so forth. So I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. But like, I didn't know. They didn't have a name. They didn't tell me who else was. They were casting, nothing else. I did a casting interview. They told me they loved me. And I was like, I'm. this is so weird. Like, I never thought that I would be someone that a reality TV producer would want to be on a show. So not your energy. No. I was like, this is so weird, but I'm just going to keep going with it because I'm curious about it. And they're like, please come. We're going to film. It was like, they talked to my parents, I think, and it was just shooting for a pilot at this point. They're like, please come for an on-air interview with Lisa Love, the West Coast editor of Vogue. And it will be like a little bit of a screen test and you'll have this interview and they told me it was like the real interview for the job right yeah so I was like okay regardless of if this show's happening or not right. like I'll I want just, this I want to go do it so I'm sitting in the waiting room waiting for them to call me for my interview and there's obviously cameras set up and there's a producer that meets me and you know the whole thing um but I still think that I'm just there for my interview and that they're filming it and then Lauren Conrad walks in the room and I'm like and I hadn't I had watched Laguna Beach so I knew who she was so then it all clicked for me and I was like okay I'm I'm on Lauren Conrad's spinoff show I'm basically auditioning to be on her show and I did that interview with Lisa Love and I it was such a I I totally effed it up. Um, she was asking me like who my favorite photographers were. And I was like, just such an LA girl, you know, who like knew true religion and like right. that kind of, of angle course. of fashion. Like I wasn't, I I worked up, I, I worked up, I grew up working for my dad in the mm-hmm. garment industry and like helping him um, do a little bit of designing. He had like a loungewear brand. So I was very like LA fashion, not like Vogue fashion. Right. But I think that's what they ended up liking, liking. about me because they knew that I was going to be like this naive girl right. like, in the Vogue right. world. Right. They were like, she knows nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so anyways, long story short, I get a call from a producer telling me that I got the internship at Teen Vogue, not even someone at Vogue telling me I got the internship. Right. And then it slowly evolved into, okay, MTV is now, is my boss. Like, Vogue is not necessarily my boss, you know? Wow. So then I would just, they like, the producer would give me my schedule. You'll edit this so I don't sound like a crap. Okay. Like a crap. This is like a crap. Um, But... 
MTV, like they would give me my my schedule every week and I would just go into the office to film. And I thought that when we were in the office that they were still giving us real jobs, but they were just like filler jobs just so that it could be the backdrop to, right. dr- backdrop to like Lauren and my conversations. And so you were like, sorry, like I'll be the one to say it. Like low-key, you were like a little duped. A hundred percent, a hundred percent duped. And I remember, yeah, I remember this producer, I can't stand him to this day, um, who was like, who, who was like trying to make me so nervous for the interview, like telling me how big of a deal it was and all this stuff. And that was then that set up this relationship between me and the producers where I was where I just like started really resenting being produced. Yeah, I can imagine. And then just like did not like filming at all and was very that's why I then got closed off because I could tell that it was always some sort of manipulation. And I was 100%. like, fine. Starting I'm from just the gonna, moment that you walked into that building. Totally. I was like, I'm just gonna show up and be Lauren's friend that can like be the one that's like listening and helping her sort through all her issues, but like my issues are never gonna be part of yeah. the show. Smart. Yeah. Smart. I think that again is growing up in LA. Yes. Strong family unit. Yes. Nice Jewish girls. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's there's something to it. There, yeah, there is there is. There was like a little bit more of like this street cred where yeah. you could I I just felt like I got it and I could I had a really strong intuition and I was really tapped into it from a young age. Yeah. And so I just knew I just I always had my antennas up. Yeah, which yeah. I love. Yeah. Wish more people would do that even now. Yeah. Um, was there a moment where you were like holy shit, I'm famous. Like, was there a moment where maybe not even just you, like the whole cast became aware of the fact that for a period of time, you were the zeitgeist. Like that show informed culture for like people who are in our age range Mm -hmm. in a way that is like unprecedented. And so was it like fan interactions? Was it magazine covers? Was it just the way that people in your own life were treating you? Mm. Was there like a, a moment or a collection of moments you can remember where you were like, wow, my life is changing before my eyes? <sighs> Good question. I feel like I remember when we were shooting the cover of Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was the first day oh I was like, oh my God. What is happening? Me. Like, even as the show was airing, it's really weird when you're in it, when, when you're in a like part of something that's relatively new to understand like how big of a deal it is yeah. and because there wasn't social media like I couldn't really figure it out yeah. and so it was more superficial things like that like covers of of the, the cover of Rolling Stone and then I did like a Cosmopolitan cover and then when I started getting like random brand deals mm-hmm. like endorsements like that that was big and um, when we started getting invited to like the VMAs and presenting awards, like those moments, but I never yeah. really, there wasn't like one specific moment, but I still, I still just don't, I don't know how like really famous people connect to their fame. I wonder how they do. I'm fascinated by it. But I feel v- very unconnected to it. Yeah. Like it feels like a different 
part of me. Yeah. Like that I that is that is not really me. It feels like your job. Sense. It feels like going to work from yes. nine to five, being this person. Yeah. But that's not really you. The same way when I talk to my friends who are models, especially the ones who are like bikini models or yeah. underwear, nude models, they all say they're like, I I rise out of my body during that time. That's totally. not me. That is me doing something that's gonna make me a, a living. Yeah. You know? And, and it's weird. It's weird yeah. when you also like when people would start to come up to me and like the relationship with fans, I oh, there would there would be part of me that would sometimes get annoyed. Honestly, yeah, I can understand that. But then I was like, Whitney, put yourself in their shoes. Like, try to think of someone that you respect like that that you would that you would go up to and want to talk to and hear from. And I don't. I just don't have that in me where I'm like a. F- fan type of person. Again, it's how we grew up. <laughs> so I, it was just like hard for me to connect to it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. One of my questions that I wrote, I was like, I know this is weirdly phrased, but like, how famous were you actually? Because mm. for me, like as a young teen or however old I was at the time, like mid-teen, seeing you guys on TV, and again, before social media, when you had no access to the people who were mm-hmm. on TV, mm-hmm. only like if they were on a magazine, which we'd all buy, or like if one of like the deep cut blogs wrote about you guys. So I perceived that as like fame. Right. But there are different levels to how it actually affects your day-to-day life. Yeah, I would say... N- in the height of like the city days, I think that was when I felt like the most out there, when mm-hmm. I was getting recognized the most and I was in New York City and walking around and but I was never was it like a serious like paparazzi situation? Could you go outside? I, I they knew where I lived in New York. It's hard in New York because you they're like you walk yeah, outside your building right. and you're in a public zone. Right. You're not like up in the hills <laughs> somewhere. There's no safety and they're in New York like, anywhere. No. So that I wouldn't say I was ever like chased like chased down by paparazzi, mm-hmm. but like there would be there were days or there there were years where when I was living in New York City when like there was always someone kind of waiting out there. Um, but I I never really looked at myself as like famous. I yeah. know it's so weird to say that. No, it's but- it's not weird. You make a really excellent point that I think is actually something that I want to start asking every person who comes on for a one-on-one interview who yeah. has some sort of career in the public eye. Yeah. Because it was fascinating to hear my friends who are like models or escorts talk about that from like a body situation. Yeah. But you know, people who are on TV or in movies or musicians, it's like there there is this you become another person. Basically, everyone has their own version of like Beyonce, Sasha Fierce, like famously. (laughs) Totally. And and that makes sense to me that like for you, fame was like a nine to five because you never, I am actually shocked. It's taken me a minute to digest it, but I'm shocked about the fact that you were like, absolutely like duped into going on this yeah. show and you were young and you were like I want a career in fashion yeah I, I was like I want to work for co- Vogue yeah I'm like I want to work for Vogue I want my own clothing line I feel like yeah. this is a way to get it right and my parents were really supportive because they knew that's what I wanted to do right and I think they knew the kind of person that I was they knew I wasn't going to make a fool of myself and so yeah I just showed up to do my job right like Fully. going to film was doing my job doing the photo shoots all that stuff was just my job I never 
really like fully enjoyed it. So did you manage to keep like your IRL life? Like did you have friends who were separate from the industry? Always. Were you able to date like normal people who didn't want something from you? Always, always. Like when I was, when I first did The Hills, I dated this guy um, who had like, his dad was major in the industry here in Hollywood. And so he wanted nothing to do with the show, didn't right. care. Um, and I had my, I was like a college, I was a college student at USC for the right. first two years of filming The Hills. Crazy. And like, they never showed any of that. I was crazy party girl. Like they never showed any of that or oh cared about fascinating. that. Fascinating. And were you and able then, to do, sorry, that's just a really interesting point. Like, yeah. were you able to like go out on Sorority Row and do what you wanted to do without people. I guess it was pre. It was pre. No one was taking freaking. It pay- was I mean, pre- we were social media. Yeah, we had. I. We were. We were. No, I think I still had Blackberries. So like, people weren't taking pictures when you were out. It was oh, no. My, you were it able to have that thing. double life. Yes, I was totally able to, and I was. I had the time of my life. Like I could still enjoy the fame when I wanted wow. to and get the access that I wanted. But then. I could really, I like went back to my apartment in downtown LA, lived with four girls like that were just like the greatest, like most fun roommates that the, right. were never on the show. And presumably it sounds like treated you the same. Oh yeah. Everyone always did. My family never cared. Um, my, my best friends, like we're always, they've been my best friends for my whole life. Like whenever I'm with my people, I'm never like Whitney from the Hills. Right. You know what I mean? Like I Nor only see myself yeah. as like me from my entire life. Yeah. So yeah, I was able, I've, I've always been able to maintain like a life outside of the show also because the show ended and then the fame just like gets really dialed back, you yes. know, and then people stop caring as much. And 100%. then now you're just sort of like, for me, I'm, you know, quote, a little, like in a, a glorified influencer. Um, and so it's, I'm still able to totally, like everybody has their lives now. Yeah. Like our personal lives are plastered everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. it's, I don't know. I'm, I want to dig super deep into yeah. that. But before we get into that, I mean, th- the the time that you were at your most famous was also the time of like, you think about how many things came out at that time. Gossip Girl. Oh, yeah. And just like how New York City was popping off. And it was just like, when I think back on it, obviously I'm like nostalgic. And I being in high school, we talked about this a little bit on your podcast. Like I was such a club rat. And so like I was irrelevant. I was like, what, 15, 16. But I was like, out at the places you should be out. I was at Butter. I was at One Oak. I was yeah. at Marquee. Yeah. I was like wearing Mark by Mark Jacobs. Yes. I was carrying a Balenciaga City, like doing like the whole thing. Yeah. And so I look back on it and I was like, wow, I think there's something extra special because nobody had the phones to capture everything. So you could be just your most like bratty, unhinged Drunk self. self 100%. And none of it mattered. And, and there's, it's just exciting, you I know? know? There was like something in the air during that time. It's so true. So do you, I would love to hear more just kind of about like if you ever indulged in all of these things that you were just basically being given for free, like the access to the clubs and the restaurants and the clothes and like the more glamorous side, because you, you do detail having that divide between like your real life and your professional life. Yeah. But within the side that was your professional life, did you ever kind of like, for lack of a better way of putting this, like get lost in the sauce low key or like wrapped up in like these things that you were now able to do? I would say some people like, 
some old friends who are no longer friends would maybe say that I was wrapped up at certain times, but I think it was also me just like filtering who was actually my real friend and who wasn't. Totally. But yes, like I I wouldn't say I ever took it for granted, but I was taking advantage of all the access. But what I was doing was like bringing my friends and family along oh, for that. all of that. Yeah, yeah. Like not to sound like a total boring loser, but yeah, like I was. No, but that's what you should do. If yeah. It's like now you can get in wherever you want to go. You can party wherever. Yeah, You're but I still didn't. That's the funny thing is my my still didn't like – I remember when – what was that club that was underground? Was it the Jane – or what was that club? The Jane is the one that looks like an like an old Jewish grandma's like living room. No, the Jane I loved, but it wasn't the Jane. It was that it was that club that you walk downstairs. It was in the West Village. Are you thinking of electric room? Was that open at that time where it's through the garage with like the neon light? I'm gonna have to ask Timmy. Timmy oh my god, we're it. gonna have to I have add to it find in. out I need because. To know. I remember never being able to get in there, like the height of the city, not getting in there. That was the other thing was also reality TV is not necessarily what it is now where That's people so were really embarrassed. Like so if true. you were a reality TV star, like you were embarrassing. You were like a D-lister. Exactly. Yeah. So I, that's the other thing this whole, the, what that is the other angle of this whole conversation is that I was always very aware of that. And so I never really got like too big headed. Like I was always a little bit embarrassed about what I was. And I wasn't like we, Andrea and I, my best friend Andrea and I would go to, um, we went to White Oak and we would wait in line and like still sometimes not get in. Like it was very rare that I was, I'm also not a networker. Like I'm not, right. I'm not an operator. Like I'll go stand in line like everybody right, else. Right, right. You're not going to like call someone. And I will just hope that maybe <laughs> someone will watch, will have watched the show but I'll never be like, oh, I'm Whitney from the Hills. Like, please let me in. You right. know, like I would just never, ever, ever do that. That's such a good point. Like, I think about how if you guys were to be in your 20s and be presented this show today, yeah. you would have been immediate A-listers. It would have been like the fucking biggest thing. But also, it would have been a very different landscape. Like, for what you would have gained in fame, although you guys still had tons of that, mm-hmm. what you would have gained in fame quickly, you would have lost in your ability to actually have a life. Yeah. And I think like the biggest revelation from this conversation thus far is the fact that you were able to draw that line Always. so deeply. Always. Because that's something that's just simply not possible now. Mm-hmm. Like even if you are a very private person who chooses to only post like editorial photos from your magazine shoots on Instagram, which like, you know, certain cast members from like Euphoria do. Yeah. And like, I respect that. Yeah. But you still run the risk of walking outside your house and anybody can photograph you. Anybody. Anybody. And then, like, report you to whoever. Dumois. Yeah. Or, you know, sell the, the images to the Daily Mail. Yeah. Like, truly, like, nope. Every place is under surveillance I and no never place had, is safe. I know. Like, the biggest thing that I was always concerned about was, like, partying. Like, yeah. I was always, like, I don't want people to see me drunk or, you know, like, fucked up or whatever. Just because I was, like, protective over that. But now I'm like, oh, my God. Imagine how crazy I would be now with that just because oh, like yeah. any random person could see you doing something right. and could just report it to one of these right. accounts. But it wasn't necessarily like that. Like unless someone was going to take the time to like call Perez Hilton 
I mean, no, like you said, no one was taking pictures. No one had real proof of anything. So right. we didn't really have to worry that much. You just sort of would worry about word of mouth. Right. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of Perez Hilton, did you ever have any incidents either with him or from like anybody else who's in the tabloid landscape of things coming out about you that like actually really did get to you? Because, yes. you know, the first thing that comes to mind is like the body image standards during that time. Uh-huh, uh-huh, Insane. Uh-huh. Where it's like if they perceived you as too big, you got labeled literally a fat cow. Mm-hmm. But if you were perceived as being too thin, you were, you anorexic. were an anorexic mess. Yeah. And so, you know, also being in fashion, being someone who's naturally slim, like that's the first thing that I think to ask you about and I would like to dig into that. But it also doesn't have to be that. It could have been a story about literally anything else. Totally. Perez Hilton never came after my weight, but they did catch us one night that we were coming out of a club and my friend that I was with was like really drunk and sloppy and said something about me liking bongs and something about butt sex. I don't know how the two were (laughs) intertwined, but we were so drunk. And the next day, the story on Perez Hilton was Whitney Port loves bongs and butt sex. (laughs) And I freaked out. I was like, what? Sorry, something in my eye. I was like, what the actual fuck? Like, oh my God. I, yeah, I did love bongs, did not love butt sex, but I was like, this is, I, I don't want any of this. And I, and no. I was really in that moment, I thought my world was, was ending, falling apart. Ending, of course. And I like immediately called my publicist and like this and that. And I'm like, I wish I could listen to those conversations because I would have said I, to myself, oh yes. my God, Whitney, like, Calmed out of get all the things. Over it. Right. Like, it's so funny you seem and not fun, that big of a right? deal. But at the time, I, you know, I, I was like so incredibly embarrassed. And I remember. Yeah, I remember that moment. But other than that, there hasn't been anything that has been, like, too scarring Yeah, in terms of, um, yeah, celebrity gossip. So, obviously, the TV cycle moves really fast. And it moves faster now than it did back then. But even then, there was still this idea of how do I stay relevant when my show gets canceled or when there's another show that comes on where people care more about those cast members than they do about us? Yeah. Was that something that, like, permeated your thoughts? Like, did you kind of deal with, like, a perpetual anxiety of, like, oh, fuck, like, what am I going to do when this is all over? And then when you did start to feel like things were slowing down Mm -hmm. after they were so fast for quite a while, Mm -hmm. how did that make you feel? So it was twofold. It was one of those things where it was like, I really didn't like filming the TV show and I didn't love living in New York. And all I wanted to do was move back to LA and do my clothing line and like be close to my family. And so when the show got canceled, I was actually kind of stoked and was like, oh my God, I can now do my life again. And then I was like, wait a second, what platform am I going to use for this level of exposure? Like social media was just starting to become a thing. And so I knew that I had to jump on that bandwagon yeah. and like cont- like keep my fans kind of in like moving off of the TV show to following me on social media. But um, it wasn't until like maybe a year or two after the show ended that I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do with my life now? But at the same time. Like I said, I never really wanted to be famous and I never really wanted to be on TV. So for me, it's always been reinventing myself with like 
bit actual business opportunities as opposed to putting myself out there in like the world of fame. You know, like I could hire a publicist and have them try to get me out to all the fashion weeks. And like, I could tell my agent that I want to be on another TV show. And I could, like, there are things that I could have done, Mm -hmm. but I just never really needed that level of of fame again. Right. And so I just was like, okay, I'm going to do my clothing line. And then I'm also not the person that plans too far into the future. Which I think is good. I had my clothing line and I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do now. And I'm going to, hopefully this lasts forever and I'll just be able to build like a clothing line that I have forever. And that will be cool. That's like my dream gig. Yeah. And then that stopped. And then I took like six months and I was like, oh shit, what do I do now? And I did, I just started doing collab, more collaborations and having my own line. And then I had a baby and like turned having a baby into a, a digital show. And like, I just have always you know, people talk about this like pivot that everyone has had to do since COVID. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like coming off a reality show, my life is just like one big pivot after another. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which it's is, like, I think it's actually really reflective of how life works. Honestly, yes. if you were here still trying to be like the 25-year-old, 26-year-old version of yourself, I'm sure I would still adore you, but I would also be like, this is kind of weird. Like, like a little bit desperate. Right. Like yeah. you're a mom and you're like in your 30s and it's yeah. like we should all evolve And I think the older we get and when our interests change, our value systems change, the normal thing to do is to evolve with it, which is also why it really bothers me that there is this like constant attempt to pigeonhole influencers, creators, one person brands. Like, you know, we're all expected to like be a brand now. Right, right. In my stint online, I've rebranded myself a hundred times. And when people come and troll me, one of the first things they say is like, you're a wash up. Like you were never able to like make any of this really so you're work. right like but I think that's what life is I yeah. think life for me it's always been about throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks yeah and I think that's realistic and I think it's great and I think that that's what life is literally all about yes. like even the biggest celebrities out there like a-list actors whatever it is like they're constantly always trying to reinvent themselves get back out there again like pivot, do something in a new way. Like no matter how famous or how not famous you are, you are always trying to reinvent yourself. And that's not just to make yourself relevant. Like I'm not trying, what I'm, when I try to do new things, it's not like, oh, just to bring relevancy back to me so that I'm followed by paparazzi and people and I grow followers. I'm like doing something honestly to just like build a life for my family and like pay my bills and right. fulfill my passions. Right. And it's, it's a as simple business. as that. It's not yeah. a clout chase. It's exactly. a business. Exactly. And I think people need to like be able to distinguish one from the other, which like unfortunately we have a really hard time. Well, people just have different now. priorities. And like yeah. that's it's just never been a priority of mine to just like stay relevant in people's eyes. Like I just want to stay relevant and like whatever it is, whatever project I'm doing, I want to make it cool and good. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, but I'm not trying to be like the most popular of this or it's just not my style. No, it's great. Oh my God, your attitude is so fucking 
fucking best. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to wrap up our conversation. Oh my God, stop. I know. Time flies when you're having fun. Shit, that was so fun. I know. I don't want to stop. <laughs> I I'm wish like, I could you're go a mom longer. with real responsibilities. I feel so bad. <laughs> I, I have to go back to Van Nuys to pick him up and then go back to the West Side for baseball practice. Do not apologize. Again, like you have real responsibilities <laughs> and a real life. I hope like, this conversation was has good. been amazing. Again, okay, like good. literally, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, it's like so this true. has been really enjoyable. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I, whatever else you want to ask me. No, so I I had this. I was like, this is potentially my most taboo question. Oh but my God, okay. when I was clicking around preparing for this, I saw that you told somebody that you turned down Leo DiCaprio. Oh my God, yeah. And I feel like <laughs> this is really taboo because mm, not a lot of people do that. Yeah, I was so scared. And well, so it's another facet of my I, like, need you to tell that story. Yeah. So I'll so I'll tell you. So um basically my girlfriend and I, Andrea and I, we were out at like White Oak or One, one Oak, Oak yeah. or whatever it was. <laughs> it was cares? like One Oak or one of the other ones around the corner yeah. from it. And we like someone comes up to me and is like, My friend wants to talk to you. Oh and I was like, okay. And I look over. He's like, that guy. And I was like, oh screaming. My- Fucking God. <laughs> like, of course, I'm gonna go to so we go over there. Wow. He chat we start chatting. He's like yeah. really cool. We talk about him being from LA and like really great. So I'm like, oh my, I'm I'm just dying inside. And I end up he we he's like, we're gonna go to the other club around the corner. Do you guys wanna come? I'm like, Absolutely. Absolutely. So my best friend and I just hang out. We literally just sit and hang out with him in his booth for a while. Yeah. And then, and I, I wish I could remember everything we talked about, but then we, he gets my phone number and was this the Blackberry era? Were you Black, like BBM? I, I think I had a. I think I had a sidekick at Scream. this time, like a baby pink side T-Mobile what? sidekick. Ah! So I remember though. So. Uh, he doesn't, we're on our way home. I'm like waiting for him to text me. And I get out of the car and it had been raining that night and my phone drops in <gasps> a puddle. And I'm like, oh my God, like, like he's going to text rom-com. me and I'm never going to get it. <laughs> and so we get upstairs and I like dry it off and put it in rice yeah, and do classic. the whole thing. My friend and I like wait up for hours <laughs> to see if he's going to text me, if my phone's going to work. Next morning, he ends up texting me, and we end up having this, like, total text relationship for, like, six months. Like, wow. we don't—I never see him again. Like, we just are, like, buddies, like, texting. Yeah. And he's—I yeah. think he was filming, like, Inception with my, when in Rome or oh wherever during this time. Wild. And long story short, um— it's like six months later. He's in LA. I'm in LA. He's like, we're go- I'm going to go to Teddy's tonight. You guys should come. I'm like, duh. So we go to Teddy's and he, we're hanging out in his booth again and he invites me over and I just freeze. I just freeze. Yeah. I'm like, I can't, I can't. Like, I'm so prude. I've never had a one night stand. I'm like, what am I going to do? With this person. Yeah. What am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? I can't just go home with him by myself. And so I, I don't. And then I end up telling my, my, the producers of the show, like the next day, I think we're filming or something. And next thing I know, it's like a story on the front of in touch or something. And it's like Whitney rejects him or something like that. And then I think they (gasps) did. And then he never, ever 
text me again. <laughs> and like, I, that's it. That's just like it. <laughs> oh my God. There are so many layers to this story that are just like jaw to the floor. Yeah. But like, fuck your producers. I don't know if they did for who, sure, who else? but who else? someone did. It, it was not I your best friend. To get friend. some sort of, no, it was not my best friend, but like someone did to get some, to get like, give me more clout or give the show promo, more clout. Promo. Bra, bra. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like at the time, you being on the cover of In Touch meant that like a, a bunch more people would have watched your the show. show. Exactly. The moral, so then they ruined my chance. That's and outrageous. Then, and then I just was so embarrassed because I was like, I didn't really reject him. I, I, I was just embarrassed about what he was going to think about me. Right, that of that course, like you were I young. reported this right. to the news and like I was trying to get it out there, yeah, but I sucks. wasn't. Like, obviously, I would have hit it forever right. and, like, uh, tried to establish a real, real relationship. relationship with him. 100%. Yeah, the so. through line of this conversation has basically been, like, fuck producers. <laughs> I think your husband's a producer, so, like, he's yeah. exempt. Well, he's but, the, I mean, I met him on the show. I know, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but, so, so good. But, like, everybody else can, like, suck a fat one because <laughs> their intentions are really bad. They're all Their intentions are always just to make the best show possible, yes. whatever cost there is, is to, to the, the, the human. Humans and involved. that's what's sad because like I see their side too you know what I mean like I do yeah I see their side where it's like you hired these people to be on a reality right. show so they kind of should know what they're signing yeah, up for them. but it's still like once you actually get down to doing it it's it's, it's Yeah. Well, I think the title of this episode is going to be Whitney Port Loves Bongs and Butts. Yes. <laughs> totally do it. I, I won't hope, even care. I hope to God someone writes that about me one day. <laughs> one that's, day. When, that's when I know I made I'm going to send you the link to the article. Please do. And you could, there's like a video too of like my friend screaming about it If or you're something. okay with it, that's the promo for this 100%, episode. 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. This was so fun. Of course. This was so good. You're amazing. Oh my God, thank Yay. you. We did it. Oh my God, I can't believe how fast that flew by. That was so good. You're such a good... Were you I mean, okay with all the Once fun? again, my degenerate angels, I'm Allie Weiss, and this has been Tales of Taboo. Congratulations on surviving another trip into the underworld, and make sure to collect your souvenir photo on the way out. Just kidding. There is no souvenir photo, but there is merch on my website, www.alleyweissworld.com. We've got the cutest sweatshirts and G-strings ready to cover your body in love. But if you're pinching your pennies but still want to support, the most helpful thing you can do is leave a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. I know all hosts ask for this and it's high key annoying, but in my case, the more reviews the show has, the easier it is for new listeners to find the show and become future anonymous contributors, which means more entertainment and powerful life lessons for you. Also, please tell a friend and an enemy about this episode if you think it will resonate with them, because word of mouth marketing means I won't have to do something that will embarrass you all, like participating in an Instagram giveaway. Anyway, I hope that you enjoyed your hour with me, and I look so forward to seeing and hearing from you next week. Until then, be good. Follow Tales of Taboo on TikTok at Tales of Taboo and on Instagram at Tales of Taboo Pod. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Allie Weiss World. Tales of Taboo is part of the Eve Podcast Network and a Forever Dog production. Produced and narrated by Allie Weiss. 
edited by Isabel McMahon. Executive produced by Mariah Nicholas. Intro by Chris Stathopoulos. Forever Dog Productions is Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm.